Morning, South. Praise the Lord. Okay, hopefully that will appear at some point. Drew usually comes scootering up. Here he comes. Drew? Everybody turn around and look at Drew. Drew, you do a great job. Tim, you do a great job. We're very grateful for you. Hey, see? Is it going to work? Oh, it's working up there. That's okay. All right. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we're, friend- we're friendly. We love people being here. Slick is not our middle name. Professionalism and stuff. We don't want to do church professional. This is family. Family gets messy, and that's good. Um, so this for the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series, looking at some of the names of Jesus Christ in uh, Isaiah 9, chapter uh, verse 6. And so, uh, guys, you can switch this off if you like, and we'll just focus on that unless you're sure it's going to suddenly appear. Um, the scripture is a really well-known scripture in, in, uh, at Christmas, one of those classic Christmas card uh, scriptures. And uh, let's read it together. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I think that final name that Jesus is given, Prince of Peace, is, is the one that is really most synonymous when we think about Christmas. Because often people say, well, we'd love peace on earth and goodwill to all men. It's very Christmassy. It makes us feel warm and, and kind of atmospheric and it's ethereal. This idea of peace on earth, what a wonderful thing that would be. And it really, really would be. In fact, so much so that, that God, through his prophet Isaiah, is telling King Ahaz in this chapter of Isaiah, chapter 9, that even though there's an enemy at your gate, and we've studied this over the last few weeks, there's an enemy at his gate ready to come in and to enslave his nation, to kill, to uh, bring great, great trouble, that, that God points towards something that is happening in 750 years after. After Ahaz, that is Jesus who is going to be coming, and for unto us a child is born. And so King Ahaz is hearing this news, and one of the names of King Jesus is Prince of Peace. So a few weeks ago, we looked at Wonderful Counselor, then we looked at Mighty God, uh, uh, sorry, Everlasting Father. Next week, uh, sorry, Tuesday, I keep on thinking it's further ahead. Tuesday, our Christmas Eve service at four o'clock. Um, we've been giving, this is a great segue. Uh, we've been giving these out to you, hopefully to invite people uh, to the service. It's an hour long. It's a family-focused service. You're not going to want to miss it, but I'm going to be speaking very briefly on Christmas Eve about Mighty God. But today, Prince of Peace. This scripture causes a little bit of an elephant in the room, a bit of a tension. Because what I could do is I could talk about how Jesus brings peace, and I will be, and I'll be talking about how he is the Prince of Peace, and what peace is, and how do we get it, and all these good things, while at the same time ignoring, uh, I'm in danger of ignoring the reality that we don't live in a peace-filled world. Um, One of my favorite bands, U2, the singer of U2 in U2, Bono, uh, in, in his song, Peace on Earth, said this, Heaven on earth, we need to now, we need it now. I'm sick of all the hanging around. 
sick of sorrow, sick of pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line, peace on earth, to tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. Peace on earth. I don't see it. Because if we look at our world and we look at the chaos and we look at the tension and we look at the trouble, there is a definite disconnect between uh, what this name seems to mean and the reality of what we see when we switch the TV on or we go on the internet and we read the news. So what what does this actually mean for us as, uh, globally on, on the planet, in our city? What's it mean for us who are in the room this, this morning who really could just do some peace in the chaos of the world? Their world, your world, your personal world. That maybe there's just that tension. You feel like King Ahaz is an enemy at the gate that is just there. You can feel it, you sense it, you hear it, you're reminded of it. What do we do with this idea of peace? Where do we find peace? We've always said, I've been pastor of this church now for nine years, and I said right at the beginning that we want this place to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. To say that, we need to recognize that life has its challenges, it has its difficulties, and and they're not just kind of these things that we can shrug our shoulders at and say, well, it'll pass. Sometimes it feels like the enemy is camped at the gate. And there's a challenge, and there's a difficulty, and although we recognize this is part of life, the overriding question is, where do we go to find peace on earth, globally and in ourselves? I wrote, I just did a quick Google this week on some of the major stresses that people experience in life. And there's a commonality that I noticed as I was reading this. Let me just read this list to you. There's just bullet points. So uh, the death of a spouse, separation or filing for divorce, losing contact with loved ones, the death of a family member, injury or sickness or illness, family conflict, Money problems, bankruptcy, unemployment, sleep problems, children's problems at school or just kid problems generally, legal problems. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking it's interesting that none of those uh, are, are exclusive to people who, uh, who don't have money. That those problems come whether you are wealthy or whether you're not. They come whether you are good looking in our world's determination or not. They come whether or not you go to the gym every other day or every day or not. You can eat all the broccoli you want in the world. Sickness still can come. Challenge still comes. So even though we focus in our world and say, well, these stresses can be alleviated if you do these things, then although those things may help, they don't actually deal with the stresses. They don't take the stresses away because those stresses, as I'm reading through them, are a description of life itself. And so God himself, through his prophets, says, look, I'm going to give you a baby, a baby unto you, a gift is born. And this baby, one of his names, the very essence of his character is going to be Prince of Peace. So what is peace? 
In this context, this word peace means shalom, and, and it's the Hebrew word that means harmony, wellness, uh, sorry, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. And so when two Hebrew people would come together, they would say shalom, they still do, they say shalom to one another. It doesn't just mean, uh, like, I'm not going to beat you up and there's not going to be war. Because think about what we think of when we think of peace. We often think of the, the lack of war. They don't mean that. When they say shalom, they're saying everything in your life I want tranquility to be brought to. I want there to be a wholeness, a, a holistic uh, peace, a, a joy uh, a, a, in your every aspect, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, there be a wholeness. Think of it in this way that I could get some, uh, some threads and some wool and different, and different things to, to make a tapestry and throw it into the middle of the floor and it look a mess. I have everything I need in order to make the tapestry, but that tapestry needs to be put together and woven together in perfection in order to make something beautiful at the end. That is shalom. That when you take every aspect of your life, every thread, every, uh, whether it be uh, something material or something emotional, spiritual, psychological, everything, every aspect, everything needs to be woven together. That is shalom. Jesus is the prince of peace. He literally brings peace and order and tranquility to a tangled mess. And, uh, and sometimes life feels like a tangled mess. Life can feel like it needs to be uh, put together, that what's lacking needs to be fixed, what's broken needs to be fixed, what's lacking needs to be filled. That's peace. That is shalom. In the middle of this ever-present chaos, shalom. And if you jump ahead and you look at the fulfillment of this prophecy that was 750-ish years before the birth of Jesus, and you look at the fulfillment of it, it's very interesting. The idea of peace on earth doesn't come up. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men is not in the Bible. <laughs> in fact, you have a hard time finding any evidence at all that there will be peace on earth in our lifetime. In fact... In this, in this whole part of the world history, it, it seems to say that things are just going to get worse and worse. Let me show you what I mean. In, in, I, in Luke chapter 2, this is the fulfillment of the scripture from Isaiah chapter 9. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth uh, among those, among men with whom he is pleased. Some translations say this, to those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. It doesn't say peace on earth. It says peace on earth to those whom he is pleased. Now don't get me wrong, Christian friends, we believe strongly that when Jesus comes back in his glory and he has promised he will come back, and it may be in our generation, it may not, we don't know. Jesus himself said that only the Father knows. So anybody who starts predicting that Jesus is coming back at this time is really sorely amiss. We're just told to be mindful and watchful for it. But he will return. And the promise is, is that he will bring shalom. 
He will bring tranquility. He will get rid of poverty and injustice and violence and war. They will be eradicated. That, that there will be peace. There will be the, uh, the uh, eradication of disease and sickness. So there will be a day when there will be shalom on this earth. This new earth. New heaven. New earth. And then as Christians we get to live there for eternity. Shalom. Oh, what a day that will be. But in our Before Jesus comes back, there is no promise that there's going to be peace on earth. It says peace on earth to those whom he is pleased. And there's a clue there. There's an important clue as to what God's intention is when it comes to this one called Jesus who's going to come. Unto you is born this child, this Prince of Peace. And at Christmas, we celebrate the shalom that we have in Jesus that's available in him. And not only that, he is the Prince of Peace. Of shalom. This word prince means guardian, keeper, provider. He has peace. He is peace. He doesn't just give you peace. He himself is peace. And as Christians, we can say that we can be part of that, that that prince of peace lives in us and we can live in him. We can be hidden in that peace. Look, the scriptures also show us here, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our shalom, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh to the dividing wall of hostility. So it's important to understand that peace is not something that we're going to attain in our earth, and yet at the same time, peace is something that is given to me as a Christian in order to have in the chaotic world The gift of the Prince of Peace. So, if that is what peace is, why do we need this shalom? Why do we need it? One of the beauties of being, I've said this many times, one of the beauties of being a preacher and a teacher of the Bible and as a Christian and as a pastor is I know, deep down inside, I know that I do not have to convince anyone of the existence of something more. I don't. It's wired into humanity that we know there's a dissatisfaction. There is a, in this context, there's a desire for shalom. And the only way we know that there's a shalom to have is we can look at our own life and know, no, I've not got it. I need that. The question is, is how do we get that? Not whether we need it or not. So I can say with complete and utmost confidence that if you were sat here this morning and you're a little bit skeptical about Christianity and and Jesus and and God and and all these things that I I get very enthusiastic about, if you're a bit skeptical about that, you are not skeptical. I can't even say it. Skeptical. Am I saying that right now? I'm having a brain belch. Skeptical about the need of that in your life. And how do I know there's the need? Because we can look at your life and see the different things that you are seeking after in order to bring that shalom. You know that there's something missing. You know that there's something amiss. You know that there's a lack that needs to be filled. You know that there's something broken that needs fixing. I know you know that. I can be confident of that because that's called human If you feel like all is well and everything is fantastic, brilliant, love that. But just wait, (laughs) because something will come, something will happen, something. Or 
And you just need to look at what we pursue. We pursue the next thing. And once we've got that thing, we look for something else. And then we look for something else, and we look for something else, and we look for something else. Or maybe we look for this thing, but then once we've got this thing, we need something faster, shinier, better than this thing, actually. Similar to this thing, but we more need more stuff. We need more things. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's more money. Whatever it might be, what is it that we're using to find us that shalom? And we don't do a great job at it, because this has been something that's going on for millennia. Where do we go for our shalom? Uh, This last week, as many of you know, one of our uh, dear families, the Courtney's, um, just Janet and uh, Janet received some very uh, disturbing news. Janet and Terry Courtney, Um, and uh, to cut a long story short, on uh, Thursday, uh, Janet was taken down to Vancouver um, because they told her that she has leukemia, and it happened very, very quickly. It was amazing how quickly it happened. Um, Literally, she had a doctor's appointment, and within a couple of days, she was in hospital. Within a day or two, she's being flown down to Vancouver, and and we're very grateful for our our medical uh, services and the speed at which she was was diagnosed, and so she's, she's feeling well. She's feeling strong. She's feeling, um, she's feeling confident in the Lord. And so on, uh, I can't remember what day it was, Wednesday, Luke and I went down with Pastor Phil to go and visit Janet. And just before I went to visit Janet, I popped in to see Tracy So. She's also in hospital, one of the South family. And, and here's what's incredible. At the end of our time with uh, with Janet, and this was certainly the same with, with Tracy, uh, with Janet, we stood around Janet's hospital bed and we had our masks on and everything else because of the nature of the disease that she's, uh, she's fighting. And so we were stood there and, and Phil and I uh, were praying and, um, and we brought oil to anoint her and to pray for healing. And we're, both of us are reading scripture and we're praying through scripture and we're declaring truth over her. And you can just sense the presence. of it's, I've been in lots of different hospital rooms. And there are rooms that really lack the sense of the presence of God. Trust me, that room was filled with the presence of God. You could just feel it, couldn't you, Luke? It was just there. It was tangible. It was amazing. And, and Janet is propped up in bed, and she's worshiping, and she's just got peace, shalom on her face. We pray for Terry. And it's a good time. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of an enemy at the gate, there is a shalom in that room in that lady, on that face. And as an aside, I've been praying about how we can best support the Courtney's and obviously the most important and uh, best way we can support them is by praying because you never know with leukemia how long the journey might be. What we do know is she's in great hands, both medically and more importantly, in the hands of God, the Prince of Peace. But I thought, how can we help as a church? So here's what I'd like us to do, please. Uh, is, is get your phone out, and I'm, and I'm even happy you're doing it right now as I'm speaking. Get your phone out and set an alarm. Set an alarm at 12.20, because Janet was flown down to Vancouver on the 20th of December. 
12.20, set it there, and then when that alarm goes off, just spend a few seconds, a minute or two, or however long you feel appropriate to pray for the Courtney's, pray for the healing of Janet, pray for her in the midst of this challenge. And I let Janet know yesterday that that's what we're going to be doing. She was so blessed that she had a church family who loved her that much to do that. So 12.20 every day, let's pray for the Courtney's. And also pray for Janet's mom, who's also having some medical challenges as well. But, but the, here's, here's what was happening when Luke and I left that hospital um, room. We were kind of chatting a little bit later. And, and, and here's where the conversation went. Here's where the conversation went. What do you do when you haven't got that shalom? You're propped up in bed. You've been told you have leukemia. And that's a scary word. Where do you go for your shalom in that moment if you do not have the Prince of Peace in your life? And so we kind of did a little bit of a thought experiment. We started thinking, well, I think they would just sit there. Oh, it's an alarm going off right now. Let's pray for Janet. I'm serious. Let's pray for her. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the Courtney's. Lord, we're taking that alarm as a prompt from you to do that right now. Lord, we pray for healing for her. We pray, Lord, that your, your power will surge through her body. That, Lord, the, with her cells and, and the bone marrow and everything else, Lord, that are complications around leukemia, you intimately know, Lord, powerfully know what needs to be corrected and brought in alignment. So, Father, whether you choose to do it just miraculously or through uh, the doctors and, the, and the, the common grace you have given us through uh, these incredible medical services, Lord, we pray for a quick uh, recovery. Lord, we pray for strength. Lord, we pray for the continuation of peace, shalom. In every room that she goes into, for every test, Lord, for every procedure, we pray peace fills that room. We ask that in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. So where do you go? Where do you go in that moment? So our thought experiment was like, well, likely you would sit there and get very angry. Potentially, hear me, angry at a God that you ignore for your whole life, apart from that moment when you want to get angry at him. And by the way, God's big enough to take that. He's okay with that. Angry at a God you don't believe in. Angry, confused, but I went to the gym. I ate this. I lived this. How could this be happening? And fear gets sucked into that room, into that life, and starts taking over. Where do you go? Because one thing we know is that we all strive for shalom. But we look for it in the wrong places. And in looking for it in the wrong places, it actually gets more complicated. So a few years ago, uh, we had an accident in, in the car. Some of you might remember we, we slid off the Coquihalla. It was just black ice and we slid and, uh, and we went and we ended up in a big snowbank on the side of the Coquihalla. It was all very exciting talking about it, not so fun in it, and uh, nobody was hurt, and everything was fine, but we, we went into this snowbank, and, and the car, our SUV, was just completely covered, really, in snow, and all the grit and stones on the snow scraped, like, down the side, it was, we needed thousands of dollars of work done on the car, and so we went through the insurance claim, and we took the car to the body shop, and things were going really really well, um, and, and so Sarah was the one that was dropping the car off, and, and so she took the car to the body shop, she parked it outside, she went inside, 
and she was doing all the paperwork and everything else. And then the man said, well, uh, which, where's the car? She, she, put, she went, it's out, it's out there. She said, well, you better make sure that there's nothing left in the car because we're going to be having it for several weeks. So Sarah was like, okay, I'll go and empty the car. So she goes out to the car. She gets in, black SUV, she gets in it. And she's like, and she starts emptying stuff out. And then she picks up this bag of a carrier. Now, this is my car. This is an important point. This is my car, not Sarah's car, my car. She opens up a bag, a carrier bag that is shoved behind one of the back seats and inside is a big pile of ladies' underwear. And she went, (laughs) what's going on here? Now, then she started looking around the car and went, this isn't Glenn's car. My wife, my beautiful wife for 26 years, had broken into somebody else's car that was outside the body shop and started emptying it of ladies' underwear. Thankfully, pretty quick, right, love? Jumped out, threw the underwear back in. Realized that there's another black SUV parked very closely to it that was, in fact, mine that did not have a bag full of ladies' underwear in it. You see, you start searching in the wrong places... It ends badly. You start searching for your shalom in the wrong places, it ends badly. You start searching for it in money, and it will end badly because it will start changing you and it will start enslaving you. You look for it in your looks, then, as I've said, gravity always wins. Things will sag and lag and bag eventually. If you look for it in relationships then eventually at some point that relationship will disappoint you in some way. It will. So wherever we look, if we're looking for the shalom in the wrong place and it ends up worse than it was before. If I have fill in that gap, then I will have shalom and my life will be whole. What do you fill that gap up with? If I could change this situation, or change this about myself, and then I will have shalom and my life will be whole. There is a longing inside each one of us for shalom. So why do we need shalom? Because this longing is there and it will be filled. What is it that we're filling it with? Is it actually resulting in shalom itself? Or is it resulting in something that will make life harder and more difficult? That you are relying on something that ultimately will not, might bring you happiness, but will not bring you joy. And there is a big, big difference. Because happiness is circumstance and material based. Joy is irrespective of the circumstances, irrespective of the chaos, irrespective of what's going on outside of you. There is a built-in joy. And one of the words for joy that the New Testament plays around with a little bit is this idea of buoyancy. You cannot push someone down when they have joy. So how do we get this shalom? How do we get this peace. Well, first of all, I've already read these scriptures to you. Most importantly, you need to turn to the one who has the peace itself. If we recognize what shalom is, we recognize our world is chaotic, we recognize there's an enemy at the gate, we recognize we want peace, we want shalom. The question is then, if I'm saying Jesus is shalom, how do we get shalom? For he himself is our peace. 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That There's this division between us and God placed there, put there by our willing and constant desire to sin. It separates us from God. And through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, through him taking the sin and the shame that is mine and all that I deserve as a result of it, he takes on and it dies with him on the cross. That's, we're a Jesus-based church. That's the gospel. And by doing so, this hostility is taken away. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's interesting Paul uses the word enemies. You might not consider yourself an enemy of God. And yet, if you are still thinking through Christianity, let me tell you, if your trajectory of your life is away from God, then it is very clear you are an enemy of God. You are not a friend of God. Remember what I said, that peace comes to those who know God? There's a, there's a hostility towards Him. There's a reluctance towards Him. And, and, and then we, it's, it's enemies. This sin will ultimately lead us completely away from Him. But there's this beautiful word that in Jesus Christ we will be reconciled. Another one of those classic doctrinal theological words, this reconciliation. Not only does it mean that God and man are brought together or mankind are brought together through Jesus. For those who believe in him, you will be reconciled to him, brought back together to him. But it also means we get reconciled back to the way things should be. As we read in Genesis, this this perfect design, this idea that ultimately we become more like Jesus. We get reconciled to God. So what is the first step of knowing the shalom in our life? And I may only be talking to a small group of people in the room. The first step of having shalom in your life is by recognizing that the Prince of Peace comes through us believing and receiving the gift of him that Christmas points to. That we believe that he is Lord. We believe that he is Prince of Peace. We believe that even though we have attempted to make ourselves kings and queens of our own lives, that we do a horrible job of that. And it is sin-filled and it is wrong. We come to him. We ask for his forgiveness. We recognize he is Lord. And it is said that he promises to forgive us of our sins. And he becomes Prince of Peace to us. He lives in us. And then therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That ultimate shalom comes to us, those who believe. And Jesus himself says something fascinating in John 14 verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So not only does the Prince of Peace in Romans 5.1, we read Prince of Peace come and live in us and be part of us. He brings this tangible sense of peace, joy with him. He says, I leave it with you. My peace I give to you, but I don't give it in the same way that the world gives. See, the world would say, if you want to have a stress-filled or a stress-free or anxiety-free life, you need to just stop doing stuff. Just take some time and rest. And that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Take some time off. 
Maybe get yourself out of a situation that is causing the anxiety. Nothing wrong with that. That's good. That's right. But these are just suggestions of the world. How does Jesus bring that peace? Christian friend, if you're in the middle of the enemy at the gate, if you're in the middle of a challenge, if you're in the middle of the sense of, I am not feeling any kind of peace, all I'm feeling is anxiety and worry, if you're in the middle of that, how do you get that? How do you have that peace override the other things that are going on in your life? Stop, absolutely. Find some time, great. Rest, yes. Withdraw from things that are causing stress, Yes, but the Bible actually tells us to do something. It tells us to think, meditate. Look at this. Philippians 4, verse 8 to 9. Is that up there somewhere, Drew? Am I going to find it? Because we put that. There it is. Praise the Lord. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If you want to have peace in your life, and this is really, and, and this might make some of you uncomfortable, I'm okay with this. This is really exclusive to those who have received Jesus as their Savior. If you want to actually live in the peace in the middle of a chaotic world, then we need to start thinking and meditating on those things that is given to us that actually point to Him. We need to set our mind on the things that are above. We need to take our attention on the things that are below and put them on Him. We need to, every day, put time aside to spend time in His presence, reading His Word, meditating on it, learning it, praying it through, declaring it, singing it, speaking it, writing it, journaling it. Get your attention. Romans 12 said that the minds would be renewed by placing our attention on Him. Fix your attention on Jesus. What it does is it also fulfills all those things that the world would say are good and healthy. But by doing so, you're not emptying your mind. You are fixing your mind upon the Prince of Peace. And that's good news. That's good news. Now, I need to get back to the scripture that was before. Let me... There we go. I apologize for these tech issues. So once we've received that peace, and let me bring the sermon to an end by sharing this with you, and this is very, very important. If we are filled with the Prince of Peace, we have this shalom, that we're placing our attention upon him in a chaotic world that we recognize will always be chaotic, there will always be something at the gate, and he can bring that peace. He then says this to us. He says this to us in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We just read that. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, so Christian friends, just just stay with me just for a second. Here's, Here's the reality of what this means. Is that you have been given 
the ministry of reconciliation. You are now the prince of peace in the world that you go to. You are peacemakers. You take Jesus and all that Jesus is in you and for you and show that to the world. That you be Jesus, you speak Jesus, that you bring peace, you bring reconciliation into those situations in the world that may be chaotic and challenging. So that the mere presence of you in that situation brings peace Shalom, the ministry of reconciliation into that place. That's a powerful ministry. That when you walk into a situation, you take the Prince of Peace with you. So what is Christmas all about? Christmas is about the gift of a baby, the one called Jesus who comes and one of his characteristics is that he is a prince of peace, the holder of peace, the guardian of peace. And he says, this is a gift to you. For those who will receive it, I will become your peace. I will become that gap in your life that you are desperately trying to fill with other things that ultimately will only result in more pain and hurt. I will fill that and you will be filled with my peace. This infinite tranquility, hope and joy is yours. And then you take that into the world, and you show the world me, is what he says. That's what Christmas is about. And so when we print these things off, these are tools for your ministry of reconciliation. Now, if you just go into your workplace and kind of track bomb it, throw them in, they scatter all on the office, and then you leave, that's not really what we're hoping for. What we're hoping for is that you will give these to people where it won't be a surprise to them. (laughs) That you'll say, look, if if you can't, I'll I'll come with me. And and you'll know that they're going to hear and see and be in the presence of God on Christmas Eve. That's just a tool. But more importantly, your life, your words, your actions, that you can be shalom to people wherever you go. And so as I was praying through this sermon, 